It's now the just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast as we sit here two days after Bubba Rosenbaum. I'm Kyle Barber, and uh, just the two of us tonight, uh, no Dave Richmond. Um, the baseball show for you, and our first guest that we'll hear from is. Cannon Gibbs, of course, Cannon played linebacker for the Pirates in 2017 and 2018, and now he is a GA down at Delta State, a Division II school in Mississippi, so great catching up with Cannon, talking about his time as a Pirate, uh, growing up with Gardner Minshew, and um, and then what he's up to now, so um, we'll hear from him, and then we'll also talk some baseball with Johnny Naren. Um, that Naren name is so well-known throughout eastern North Carolina, specifically in the Goldsboro, Wayne County area. And so we'll hear from Johnny. He spent time as um, an accountability partner and uh, and coach for Josh Hamilton, who was so talented out of the Raleigh area. And then he also spent some years <laughs> in the big leagues with the Milwaukee Brewers. So we'll hear from Johnny. And um, I know those will be two guests that our our listeners will really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Bob, speaking of enjoying, man, have you uh have you enjoyed the bowl season so far? Uh not so good for the American. Uh one win UCF over Marshall in the Buckle Raton Bowl. Uh then SMU and terrible performances in their bowl games. Uh SMU getting blown out by Florida Atlantic, you know in in a bowl game they just weren't seemed interested in playing with that. And then uh, Temple, it doesn't surprise me that UNC won the game, but I was really expecting a competitive ball game in the uh, nation's cat. Well, I don't get this in D.C. now, but in Annapolis, Maryland, in that military bowl. Yeah, it's funny you started to say in the nation's capital because I remember when North Carolina received word that they were going to be playing in the military bowl that – the, the account put out that they were headed to the nation's capital. <laughs> activities, at least a couple of years ago, were still in D.C., even though the game is in Annapolis. <laughs> but, uh, as far as with SMU, I wasn't. I wasn't stunned that FAU won the ball game because, like you said, they're playing at home there in Boca Raton. But uh, yeah, and lots of times, but, like you see, like I mentioned earlier, besides playing at home, sometimes the ball game is just who's motivated to win that game. And, uh, you can see why FAU would be very motivated to be there. Absolutely, and, and uh, kind of like uh, what you were saying as far as Carolina football. <laughs> I was hoping that Temple would win that ball game, but I, I really expected the Tar Heels too. I just thought they would have more offense based on what I had seen of the two teams. Um, and uh, I know with the way we struggled, I know Temple had games where they missed out on scores against us. Um, but um, given our struggle, the way we were on the Tar Heels uh, would win that game, but. I certainly didn't expect it. I thought they'd probably win by 10 points to two. Yeah, and I really can't put my finger on why. Um, on the road, you know, so that that maybe has something to do with it. I don't know. Um, 
yeah, some uh, some numbers from that game. I, I know Sam Howell threw for right at 300 yards and three touchdowns, but a number that really jumped out at me um, in, in a game in which the Tar Heels outgained Temple something like 530 to 270, um, Sam Howell and the Tar Heels converted 11 out of 14 on third down. That's just insane. Wow. Yeah. Um. You know, you would thought that's not a situation. Unlike FAU, SMU, you Tibble, you've been fired up to play. So I don't think that had anything to do with it. Yeah, no, that's a funny piece. Wish to tweet this because I'd admit Temple would have won the ball game, but. <laughs> Something like Rod Carey's terrific confuse him because at NIU he he had not done well either. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you, you that's something else. You, you would think well, then change what you're doing. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> Did you mention Southern Miss and Tulane? Uh, Tulane beat Southern Miss. Then uh, guess what? Then you know we're going to be uh, five and two in bowl games, and may end up you know having the highest win percentage of all the conferences. Most of our bowl games get played, so still a lot of chance for the conference to do well. Holes. Five opponents with Boston College, Kansas State, and of course Penn State, all three left on the uh, horizon for chances for the. League to get nice wins over them. So, you know, I've been seeing a lot of people, you know, particularly after this North Carolina game, feelings hurt. But that's just one game. It is what it is. I don't, I don't think anybody. If anybody wants to say, "Oh man, look at the ACC, North Carolina," you know, regular season results still count. The bowl games they ain't the. Uh, is. And uh, I know you mentioned that Gasparilla Bowl. Um being played at Raymond James Stadium now uh, rather than uh, the the home of the Rays uh, trying yeah, to get yeah. a field or whatever it's called now but uh, I know that I know that's where that one will be moving forward but uh, that that matchup uh, firmly expected UCF I think leading something like 20 or 21 nothing after and then pretty much held them at arm's length about two scores the rest of the way. Even even when Marshall made a little push, um, UCF would answer right back. Yeah, UCF put it on cruise control. Um, And that was with... Yeah, and that was um, without but. And and that one, in addition to just having an American, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess the two most entertaining ones. Uh, well, one of them was entertaining, and the other one was close. Uh, the one that was still wasn't so entertaining. La Tech over Miami in a in a snooze fest. 
but nice win for Skip and Louisiana Tech. Uh, their tenth win of the year. Um, first time yeah, in program history that they've gotten ten wins, which shocks me. Uh, Bubba, a ten win season. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. I, I certainly would have expected down through the year um, with some success. The program would have thought at some point they would have probably won ten ball games. So that yeah. did that did surprise me as well. And then uh, and I knew Skip over the last several years had had a lot of success in bowl games, but I did not realize that it was uh, up to a six consecutive bowl win now for the Bulldogs. Yeah, absolutely. So. Congratulations to them and the other goal, uh, bowl game yesterday that was very entertaining was uh, Eastern Michigan and the Pitt. And, you know you know how I'm a huge fan of Chris Creighton, the head coach of Eastern Michigan, and Scott Weatherby, who's their AD, who, uh, you know, Bubba, how I tried and tried to get Weatherby to somehow become the AD here at East Carolina. Uh, nothing against, nothing against uh, John, John Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah, I just. I just love Scott Weatherby. Um, and uh, so I was cheering for the uh, Eagles uh, hard yesterday, and unfortunately in the waning seconds of the game, Pitt pulled it out and won, uh, won by four. But uh, Eastern Michigan was a hell of a showing, and Chris Craig continues to just overachieve at a place that arguably is the worst program in FBS. Uh, you could argue New Mexico State has that up. Uh, has that honor, but uh, East Michigan is right in the top. For jobs, and uh, I'm like you, I think maybe New Mexico State and that task that Doug has uh, may have surpassed Eastern Michigan because of um, now yeah, New, Me- had, New we, Mexico we State is obviously independent status, but, so they're uh, an extremely difficult job, more challenging. And we haven't talked about uh, Bubba uh, Eastern uh, Doug Martin in a little uh, trouble. Uh, more research on that. Do, do, have you done any research on that? You heard about that? I have not. I just saw right after it happened. I I saw a statement that was released by Doug Martin, and this uh, and he said, "Ask players who you to talk to, and they'll tell you that these uh, accusations claims are ridiculous." Nothing but a class act. Any time I've ever had any communications with him, came on the podcast. Uh, you know, back when we hired. Uh, I actually reached out to Doug, and uh, he was at Kent State then, and having a little bit of success at Kent. Uh, the record wasn't very good, but he was coming off of a, off of a, the off of a. I think he had a six win season that year, and Kent's another very tough job, uh, Bubba. And I had uh, emailed Doug Martin, and I asked him from the little I asked him what was he going to told him it was because of his overall record against us. He, he thought he was a good coach, but he felt that the fans may uh, react negatively. And, uh, yeah, which is so, certainly understandable. I mean, that is one of those things. Uh, Pirate Nation, um, people that have been around um, since, since Logan's years, I would have certainly remembered Doug Martin and the success we had offensively when he was around, but um, a lot of folks would, um, I guess, yeah, they would uh, uh, understand, understandably uh, seen that record and the <laughs> offensive success. That was that was Steve Logan. So, but you know, Doug uh, Doug had a six win season at Kent State, and uh, the year the year that he was fired, he had a senior laden class coming back, and Coach Hazel went in there and won eleven games. Um, so yeah, I, uh, 
Uh, Doug Martin's a good coach, and he took took New Mexico State to a bowl win a couple of years ago. He's had two very tough jobs, and I think that he become the head coach of Carolina. And look, I'm glad things worked out like this because you know how I feel about Ruffin Hill um, in terms of Ruffin Hill. Think it worked out with Ruffin at the end, but uh, I think had Doug got a job, he would have done fine. It's a much easier job to win at than Eastern Michigan. Excuse me, than Kent State or uh, Doug. Uh, Whatever the uh, whatever's going on in New Mexico State, we need to research a little bit better and talk before we talk about it more. Doug is is in the wrong, and you know perhaps similar to what happened with Mike Leach out at Texas Tech, and you know again a witch hunt, and you see who came out on the better end of that deal. Absolutely, something else I wanted to ask you about because I know you. Like you mentioned a few minutes ago, watched a decent amount of that Eastern Michigan and uh, Pitt game in the Quick Lane Bowl up in Detroit, and um, I, I saw a lot of it, um, but I, I did not see this live. But on the on the highlights today, I saw where I believe it was an Eastern Michigan player took a swing at a Pitt player. Did you see that quarterback? Yeah, it was the Eastern Michigan quarterback. Uh, okay. he got hit late. A flag was not thrown, but he actually took a swing. He was down and got hit after he was down. Okay. And, uh, it really shouldn't have been a flag on it. It was more of a momentum type thing. Uh, he actually swung at the wrong guy. He didn't know who it was that hit him. That was the nearest guy when he stood up. Okay. And, well, uh, he, he swung at him. And then, it, and then the, and then the uh, he, that guy tried to swing back at the quarterback and, and kind of ended up throwing the official down. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to mention. Uh, and he was certainly in the wrong, the the Eastern Michigan quarterback. Right. He lost his control. There, I'm not saying he that. Was, uh, it was more about being upset that they had blown that lead. Like they they did. Look, when you look at the talent difference between Pitt and Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan played their ass off to be leading that game with 40 seconds on the fourth. And to do And that was uh, what I was going to say is that. Although the Eastern Michigan player was definitely in the wrong, that um, that was a flop. It was a it was a flop. And, and yeah. the uh, brim of the bill of his hat. It was about it. And, and then the guy, the official's head goes back to the left, and people on some media were talking about uh, the sniper somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure. That was responsible for that, so that's good. Uh, and that wouldn't matter. But we had the uh, backup throwing the last pass there for the uh, for the Eagles. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunate. Uh, I felt bad for Chris Creighton and Weatherby and uh, those players there at uh, Eastern Michigan. Kyle. Um... We'll come back and talk some more, but why don't we go ahead and pitch it to our first guest, and we had the opportunity to catch up with former Pirate linebacker Cannon Gibbs, uh, one of the most appropriate name, appropriately excuse me, named uh, Pirate players in history for sure. And uh, let's go to that conversation with Cannon right now. Well, it's always great to talk about football, even if it's not technically football season, Bubba. We love to talk about our Pirates, right? Yeah, it's still football season, just not, unfortunately, for uh, Carolina. Hopefully we'll be back in the uh, uh next year. But right now uh, we're going to be 
excited to catch up with the East Carolina-led winner. He played linebacker for the Pirates in 2017 and 2018. And I, I don't think, Dave, that there's ever been a more appropriately named Pirate. Welcome into the show. <laughs> Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, this is just Parky Center to be here talking ball with you guys. I've always been close, like, especially if I had. Uh, the skills make no make no secrets and know about it. But glad to have you on and uh, catch up and see. Um, first of all, um, I guess we need to go all the way back to talk about your time of how you became a pirate. I guess to get uh, we'll get the full effective. Yeah, uh, going in sophomore year, Ellisville, Mississippi. Um, you know, I was getting some interest headed into that. that fall semester after my spring, and, um, you know, I believe it was like mid, around October, we, we played, a, had a home game on Saturday, and uh, Coach Deke Adams, who coached D-line at the time, came came to the game, and I guess he liked what he saw, and he ended up offering me, and um, I was on a visit uh, a couple weeks later, and uh, on Halloween, actually, that, it was that weekend, I played UConn, so it was a good setup for Uh, winter, uh, coming back with winter conditions, moving into spring, and then the summer. 
summer, man. Every, every everything, every season has a different element that just you know makes you makes you want to stay around forever. So just I can always reminisce on on good times uh, at ECU, man. No doubt about it. Cannon, prior to that 2017 season, and like you said, you were coming in from junior college, and uh, so you are just making that transition to Division One. We'll talk a little bit about that. I know uh, you started uh, half of those uh, registered 50 tackles, and 14 of those, I think, came in that game against UConn, which was your best game your junior season. Oh, yeah. I guess from uh, just a uh, – Organization standpoint, man, it was just really talent on defense. Uh, specifically, Matt Jones. I had a, a safety, Jonathan Abram, who was drafted in the first round of the draft in the NFL draft last year, and then I have a, I played a, behind D lineman and Javon Kinlaw, who will be another first round draft pick this year. And the NFL draft, so man, it, it's cool. And there's there's uh, programs that I was competed with every day, you know, in that in that small scale the junior college football per se. But man, it, it was a transition. It, it was it benefited me because I was I was available around. But yeah, the transition was pretty. Smooth. You the game that I referenced where you had 14 tackles, um, whether that game or against BYU, a uh, high-profile program like the Cougars, so whether it was one of those two games or uh, maybe another game, uh, what are some that stand out from your ECU career? i tell you what, man. Uh, I remember that UConn game. It got postponed, I believe, or maybe we played it early. Um, but it was on a Sunday, and – and I was feeling terrible that morning. I, I remember that. And and I ended up getting a lot of tackles, whatever. But I do remember I missed three. So, uh, you know, I could have had 17. So, and in that BYU game, it's in my profit another one. So, so it, and that's kind of been my demeanor, man. Just always take the negatives all the way, you know, not not trying to look at the positive, all looking for room, room to grow. And I think that that demeanor mentality is totally by my that I was under at in my profession and my coach now. But yeah, man, I tell you, that UConn game was wild. I remember it came down to the wire booth and missed the field goal at the end. It was good to walk away with a win, that was for sure. Yeah, most definitely. And um, that's what. Taking a look at that 2018 season, obviously the, the victory over North Carolina is one that would stand out. Um, but as far as yourself, again, you started about half of the uh, games that you've done. Um, registered right around 50 tackles again, give or take. But in, 20, in 2018, you had TFLs and also two and a half sacks. You see up the Knights, of course, their second consecutive undefeated season, and you had eight tackles in that ball game. And, I may be mistaken, but it was either that game or the Houston game, which you you know, actually are running back up on a screen pass. <laughs> you know, I knew I had four four. Uh, <laughs> 
situations and everybody in those situations to be successful. And, you know, I just executed the game plan in that particular play, and it benefited me. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a good feeling hitting that fellow. That was for sure. You, you talk about uh, defensive player David Blackwell um, prior to the 2018 season, and um, although the statistics didn't show there certainly was a tremendous amount of improvement, uh, especially against the run. We were so much better stopping the run in 2018 as opposed to that 2017 season. So talk a little about what it was like to play for David Blackwell because I had a, a um, Staff. It didn't, didn't work out for him to stick around in his alma mater um, this time around, but he um, went on to be the defensive coordinator at ODU, and Bobby Wilder was let go this year. But um, unfortunately, Coach Blackwell was retired. Yeah, Coach Blackwell, he, he, he knew that he saw the standard as soon as walked on back on campus in Greenville. And I, I, I still keep up with Coach today now that I've joined the profession. I, he. he I look to him as a mentor, uh, you know, what he taught me. And, and he just, man, he, he got the best players on the field and allowed us to play fast. Uh, he, he didn't he didn't try to complicate things. And, you know, that's kind of kind of the mindset I'm taking as a coach. Get your players out there and, hey, man, free them up to play fast and physical. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned the TFLs that I had. Um, I think we led the nation. Or, no, we were third in the nation in TFLs. Um, overall, so that was a stat that stuck out um, for Coach Black. But uh, and I believe this year at ODU, he brought their defense from what was prior to like 118th uh, in the nation to uh, I believe in the top 50. So he his, his his stats show you know the results are there. He but I mean you can't compare it to what he gives day in and day out at practice. Uh, you know in the film. And um, what a story! Um, one of the top stories in college football. A guy who buried all that and took for some depth on the defensive line. Found an edge rugging like Nate Harvey. And just talk a little bit about just uh, it was um, in order to be. I mean, excuse me, to be a play like or alongside a guy like Nate Harvey. Oh man, me and me and Nate, we're we're uh, each other when we first got there in uh, the spring of 2017 semester. And I remember him in the 17th season being our, our scout team running back. I mean, he was our scout team running back, gave us a great look, uh, you know, came to work every day, didn't complain, didn't gripe. Uh, but he was always trying to find ways to get better uh, on and off the field. And I remember going into the 18 spring, I was out because I had shoulder surgery uh, after the really, really, really engaged on the team that coach was um, providing us with, uh, you know, all the the new plays, everything, uh, just learning that. But Nate really was right there with me, you know. Hey, what is this? What is that? As he was transitioning um, from, from running back to the, the defense. So, me and him, man, I, I saw it every day, uh, whether it was in the squat rack or in the film room or there was no there was no gray area of what his effort was going to be and, and it showed you know and everybody else saw you know I, I was there to see 
No doubt about it. Um, kind of transitioning your East Carolina career, chosen to go into coaching, and you're currently down at Delta State and Cleveland, Mississippi, Division II program. So uh, you're serving there as the GA, um, specializing in the in coaching the linebackers. And so, talk a little bit about um, what you're currently up to and, and how you chose that path into coaching, how you landed at Delta State.
Yeah, I'm enjoying it, man. I, I coached over the uh, American this year, and we had a uh, All American at the uh, the DB spot too. So we got a lot of good players, man. We got to get them on the field and let them play. Yeah, about it. Uh, speaking of good players, <laughs> uh, earlier in there to uh, Gardner Minshew, the guy you go way yeah. back with your um, childhood in Brandon, Mississippi. Um, Gardner, obviously, uh, things didn't work out the way he would have liked to Carolina. He still did an awful lot of good things, but still, still <laughs> compared to just 11 interceptions. But we'll just see his time in Greenville, the way they did for him. He transferred to uh, Alabama and be part of Nick Saban's program. He had the opportunity to go out to um, Pullman, Washington, and everybody knows what he did out at Washington State, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, throwing for about 4,800 yards and uh, just lighting up the school board. And then uh, he earned himself uh, a six-round draft selection uh, with, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And needless to say, he exploded onto the, the scene in the NFL this year. And so talk a little bit about Gardner and um, as far as you guys uh, staying in contact and so forth. Yeah, man. That's another guy I'm really proud of. Um, I just think, man, football is, football is the greatest game in the world, and it's all about opportunities, timing, timing and opportunities. And, and and one thing about Gardner is being his roommate at ECU and just growing up with him, competing against him, competing with him, and just being his friend. Um, that that guy, that guy, there's nobody that's fair Carter than him. You know what I mean? Um, I, I remember – to come home, long long day. We got um, like I mentioned earlier. We get our workout in, our run in, um, go to class, uh, go eat, maybe do some field work that evening. Come back and I'm like, hey, you know, let's 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 go hang out with the boys or whatever. I come home and he's porch reading. The, he's got a Bible on on one like one side of the on the seat and then the deck. Just about you know the, the mental aspect of the game on the other side, and he's over there digging deep. He's also just another 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 example of you know hard work is off, man. And and I just continues to there and work like he like he does. Uh, just proud of him, man, for sure. Can't wait to see him here soon. Yeah, it really, um, it really is great to see him. He's had um, and I know, like I said. Um, Things uh, didn't work out um, as well as we would have liked. I mean, without a doubt, and um, and with, with what he did at Washington State, I was not surprised whatsoever because I remember when we signed and Gardner Minshew coming out of Northwest Mississippi Junior College, and when they were coming off that national title, as soon as I saw his film, I was ecstatic because uh, I knew we were getting a heck of a quarterback. Yeah, he's a heck of a quarterback. He's a heck of a person. He's a great leader, man. He's a phenomenal leader, and he's always going to hold you accountable, you know, from the top to the bottom. Whether whether you're the the AD or the or the janitor, man, accountability. You sure that the standard is set and the standard is transparent, um, no matter who you are. So, and I think I think that's that's another reason why he's so successful. It's just it's accountability and standard within himself and his, his ability to hold others to that standard. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, man, it didn't work out at ECU, but it, it's just it's part of the it's part of the game, man. It's all about opportunities and 
you know, you being in that position to be successful. One last one from Gardner. I know you guys have probably shared some, some laughs over this, and, uh, th and that is the craze over the mustache. Oh, man, that, that dude looks hideous. <laughs> yeah, but I, I would always laugh on social media seeing the the suit that he would have on when they'd go on the road trips uh, for Washington State. Oh, yeah, he's a character now. Now people ask me, like, did, did he just start acting like this? I'm like, no, he's just got fame now. Like, people are just giving him the publicity. This dude's always been weird, man. He's a, he's a, he's a weirdo, man, but he's got so <laughs> He's got so much charisma to him and just the uh, likability, man. He's he, he is who he is. Everything's authentic, man. It's just now the spotlight's on him, so everybody sees it. But no, man, he, he's a trip, and he's cut that daggum mustache. So he's growing his hair out now too. So uh, I think he's trying to be a little bit like me when I grow up my hair, to be honest. So we'll pick <laughs> a bone with him when he gets here. And, uh, Cannon, you've been very generous with your time. Before we wrap this up, uh, obviously we have the college football playoff semifinals taking place this weekend. Uh, you have LSU taking on Oklahoma, and it's going to be interesting to see those high-powered offenses uh, square off against one another. And then you also have Clemson and Ohio State, uh, a pair of clubs that um, I think are one and two as far as margin of victory squaring off. What do you think about this year's semifinals? Let's start off with LSU and Oklahoma. And I, I'm just going to keep it simple. I'm not going to dig all the way into, you know, everything that goes into what I'm thinking. But I'm just going to keep it simple and go with the Tigers. Um, I really I really love all four coaches, head coaches, um, that, that, that are coaching in the playoff. But I think Ed O is going to have them ready to roll and, and, and they're going to they're gonna roll on to the championship. Uh, who, who do you like them to play in the championship game? you think it's going to be Clemson or Ohio State? I'm going to have to. It's hard to go against a team like Clemson, who I don't know how many games they've won in a row, um, and, and just having the leader that they have. And, and just their, their consistency, really, on both sides of the ball. The Tigers and the Tigers. Yep. I I agree with you. I think it's going to probably be LSU and Clemson, and I think LSU will probably win it. But, uh, Cannon, you've been very generous with your time. Your family had a great one, and uh, we'll stay in touch. And best of luck with your coaching career. All right, man. I really appreciate y'all having me reaching out. It's always good to connect uh, back with North Carolina and, and ECU. Uh, that that it's just wonderful talking to y'all, man. And I hope that y'all have a good uh, new year um, heading forward and very prosperous for y'all. And and I look forward to talking to y'all, keeping up, Bubba. I appreciate you for having me. Absolutely, we certainly appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck with Delta State, and as always, go Pirates. No doubt, go Pirates, baby. God bless. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Like you say, Dave, it's right around the corner and very excited to have on the show. Uh, you, when you think of baseball in eastern North Carolina, you think of uh, the name Naren, particularly in the Goldsboro area, and welcome into the show, Johnny Naren. Johnny, appreciate you being with us. you talking with you guys today. Absolutely. It's hard to believe uh, for this, uh, Major League Baseball with the Nationals winning. My team, actually, I'm very happy with that. But anyway, the uh, – Hard to believe that just around the corner we're going to have pitchers and catchers going to spring training and 
It's hard to believe that time is flying, and here we go again. Not that I'm complaining. Glad that baseball season is almost back. Well, that's you know, that's part of the game. You know, we we can't wait for it to get started, and we can't wait for it to end. But um, you know, it, it, the time that we have at home goes pretty quick. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, let's just—I I mentioned that Naren name. Um, just so many Narens down through the years that have been involved in the game at a high level. So take us back to, to your childhood and just your first involvement in baseball, and and just and talk about that a little bit. Well, my, our family's been involved with it ever since I was born. My grandmother's brother Sam Naren uh, signed his first contract to play professional baseball in 1934. Spent much of his career with Branch Rickey, uh, played or coached with the Cardinals and the Pirates and the Dodgers, and has you know a couple, two or three. I may be off, but a couple, two or three World Series rings. He had some with the Cardinals and had one in 1960 with the Pittsburgh Pirates when Bill Mazeroski hit the walk-off home run. And his grandson Sam Naren, by name, is still in baseball, working with the Nationals as their triple uh, double A pitching coach. There's been nine of us to either play or coach professionally. Yeah, no doubt. And um, that's something I wanted to, to mention. Sam, obviously, diehard East Carolina fans are well aware of the tremendous career that Sam had um, at East Carolina from 1999 to 2001 in the 6-7 Southpaw under um, legendary head coach Keith LeClaire. And then went on to um, – he had a short – he had a start or two, I know, with the Texas Rangers – and then also spent some time with the Milwaukee Brewers organization, uh, an organization you're very familiar with, as well as yeah. your brother Jerry. Uh, yeah. So, um, so um, talk a little bit about uh, I know um, you yourself, as far as your playing career, and uh, so, uh, so you spent the time in with the Yankees and White Sox organization in '74 and '75. Is that right? Yes, um, I was. Uh, I played at Goldsboro High School and at East Carolina University, and I was signed as a free agent with the Yankees in 1974. Played briefly with the Yankees, got traded by the Yankees to the White Sox for Ed Herman. They wanted Ed Herman to back up Thurman Munson, so that was our first connection with Thurman Munson. Jerry was with the Yankees as well, and he later backed up Thurman Munson. But um, after I played a couple, two or three years, and, and got out of the game, I went into sports apparel. And didn't get back into the game until 2003 when the Milwaukee Brewers needed a hitting coach at Helena, Montana in the Pioneer League. And uh, the, the uh, GM, Doug Melvin, was talking with my brother, Jerry. I, I can't remember who Jerry was at the time, but he was talking with Jerry and said, I need a hitting coach. So Jerry called me and said, you've been wanting to get back in the game. It's time to put up or shut up. So I went to Helena, Montana in the Pioneer League and got back into baseball as a coach in 2003. Yeah, that was something um, when preparing for this interview that I came across that fact, and I didn't realize that you had uh, spent those years out of the game. And um, so you, you spent those, what, three or four seasons, um, like you said, as a hitting coach, and I guess was, was that A-ball? That was rookie ball, and I rookie spent ball. some time with the A-ball club with the Brewers, and in, in uh, 2007, I think it was, 2006, 2007, uh, Josh Hamilton was allowed back in the game by MLB. It was cleared and, and was okay for him to play again. And the um, Brewers, and, and I think it might have been Chicago, worked out a deal that, that uh, maybe Chicago drafted him rule five and, and the Brewers had an agreement. Not the Brewers, I'm sorry, Cincinnati. Cincinnati and Chicago. So uh, 
I mean, people in Cincinnati, my brother was there, and they were looking for an accountability partner and somebody that had a connection to the game that would fit in, and they called me and wanted me to be Josh's mentor and accountability partner, and I was assistant hitting coach with Jerry as the manager, and Brooke Jacoby was the hitting coach. And, um, Johnny, just for perspective for our listeners who, who may know who Josh Hamilton is, of course, but um, just um, as far as your relationship with him, he's someone, um, he said your son had played – youth basketball with him, uh, your first connection with Josh was at nine years old, and then you coached his travel ball teams at 14 and 15. Is that right? Yes, uh, Josh. I went to see my son play basketball, and there was a kid on the court, and I said, who is that? And they said, that's in the fans and the parents said, that's Josh Hamilton. But wait till you see him play baseball. And I said, really? And um, he looked like he was just uh, five years older than everybody else playing the game and having a good time. But I knew his family, Tony Hamilton and Linda Hamilton, his brother Jason Hamilton, Tony and Linda was his parents, and uh, my son played with him and against him, and, and Zach Robertson is a special assistant with the Pittsburgh Pirates now, and I took a travel team when Josh and, and my son, and, and Zach's son was like 14, 15 years old, and Josh played on that team, and he played shortstop, and he was a catcher, and he pitched, and he played outfield, <laughs> wherever he wanted to play. <laughs> And the, re- and the reason I brought that up, I wanted our listeners to have that perspective to realize that before your um, those five years that you spent as his accountability partner and that you did have that previous relationship with him, but then um, you guys hadn't really spoken, if I'm not mistaken, for, for a few years, and so you couldn't believe it. You were floored when you found out the news that um, he had a, he had the drug addiction. Yes, I was absolutely amazed, and really the first two or three people that told me, I really just, I just come on, guys, don't mess around. That's not Josh Hamilton, and I was very saddened, and 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 it just, it's hard to believe, but you know, it was happening, and it was something that that you know had to be dealt with. Now, what is the responsibility of an accountability partner? What what does that entail? Um. Well, you do your job during the day, and I say you do your job as far as the baseball responsibilities. You're with the team. You're, you're in the in the cages. You're batting practice. You're helping the advance reports. You're doing everything that everybody else does during the game. But when the game is over, it's your responsibility to make sure that, that Josh has an outlet. You know, it's, it's Josh's decision. It's, it's, it's the addiction that Josh faced. It was something that is a terrible addiction, and it's something that gnaws at you all the time. And, just to be there for him, and, you know, it might be a Bible study, might play some video games, we might go to a movie. Um, my wife, Gail, and, and I got to be real good friends with, with Katie, Josh's wife, and kids, and, and we were just there for them. And uh, when you go on the road, um, you, you make sure that, you know, he has what he needs but as far as financially because he's not supposed to take any care of any money with him. That's part of the agreement with MLB and, and, and people that are making a comeback like that. So you just, it's all-encompassing, and, you know, you're there 24 hours, seven days a week with him, aside from your responsibility with the game. But um, being a man of faith, I felt like it was something that, that God had in store for me. It's something that, that was my the way he wanted me to go, and I embraced it, and I grew from it professionally and personally as did Josh. And is it something that continued into the offseason? Uh, typically, if Josh was with his wife and family, um, then I wasn't there unless we were, Gail and I were invited to a, a family function or something. But typically, and most importantly, when she, when he was not with his family, then I was supposed to be there. So in the off season, obviously, he spent a lot more time with his family. Okay. Got it. Now, Johnny, several years back, I, 
um, I was blessed to read his book, Beyond Belief, and uh, what a tremendous read that is. It's it's something that came from the heart, and, and, and Josh described to me a time when we were alone, he would describe to me the, the, the horrific addiction that goes on with that that drug uh situation and he you know he was he, he was he was saved by the grace of god and his grandmother actually said some things that had been said to him before but he told me that 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 particular night she spoke with him the lord opened his heart and allowed him to hear the words and it started getting him turned around yeah that, that was just an awesome story and um if anyone has not read it i certainly encourage our listeners listeners to uh, read to read that book um and um and they will not regret it for sure. Uh, so you talk about and the way you benefited from the relationship with Josh Hamilton, both personally and professionally. On the professional side of things, um, after spending 2007 to 2011 as his accountability partner during his time with the Reds and Texas Rangers, um, in 2012 you had the opportunity to become the, the hitting coach with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, so talk a little bit about that experience um, where, where your brother Jerry was already the bench coach. Well, you know, Jerry was with the Yankees, with the Bucky Dent in AAA, and, and I was talking to Jerry one summer when I was with the Brewers, and, and Bucky and Jerry were telling me, you need to call Kevin Long. And I said, Kevin Long? He said, who is Kevin Long? And he said, well, you know, he works with the Yankees. And point being is Kevin Long and I started a professional relationship over the phone. I mean, we probably went out to eat a couple times, but I, but I had an opportunity to meet Kevin, and then when I went to and, and we exchanged information, he's with the Nationals now, actually. He's their hitting coach with the champion. Uh, nationals, and then when I went to Cincinnati, I was able to spend time with Brooke Jacoby, that had been a a, a protege of Yuri Harmelia in, in Texas, and then I went to Texas, and I had time to I had a chance to spend two years with Rudy. Clint Hurdle came in, in between being the manager of the, uh, the Rockies and then going to the Pirates, and I was able to spend a time with him. Uh, Kevin and and was very all encompassing. Kevin Long, as far as the approach to hitting and the mechanics, Brooke Jacoby was the same. Really good and taught a lot of people about the mechanics of the swing. Clint Hurdle was very good at the approach and how you go about having a team approach. And I learned so much from, from those guys and having having the opportunity to be with Josh and be in the big leagues. I had the opportunity to spend with them and then Scott Coolball when in Texas. So it just it just facilitated my opportunity to be around some of the best, if not the best, hitting coaches in baseball. And and at the same time. Well, Josh and, and work with his teammates. Um, my goodness, David Murphy, Mitch Moreland, Michael Young, Ian Kinsler, Vladimir Herrera, Angie Molina, and Alex Cora, his manager for the uh, Red Sox. Now, just being in that environment, it helped me personally and professionally, but at the same time, you know, I learned a lot about you know what it takes to be successful at the big league level and having that opportunity to work with Josh and, and, and working with the staff there and, and Washington and, and, and Jackie Moore, Dave Anderson, uh, just just a great staff to do. Just so many to learn in, in all facets of life and professionally with the baseball. Specifically, Johnny, um, very unique situation and um, awesome opportunity you had. Um, I think Jerry spent five years with the Brewers. You spent three years. 2012 through 2014 with Milwaukee. So talk about that um, unique experience to to spend three years um, with with your brother on a on a big league staff like that. Well, you know, Jerry's my younger brother. Um, I, I love it when somebody asks him, "Who's older, you or Johnny?" Because he does he doesn't like that. But uh, he, he's my younger brother. But I yield to him because 
my grandmother's brothers and Aaron taught us to respect the integrity of the game and the structure of the game. And Jerry, with all of his experience, both as a player, manager, and coach in the big leagues, and you know, I respected that part of the professional life, and I yielded to him on everything. Um, I remember when I was in Cincinnati, first spring training, Jerry was sitting in the – he was the manager, and, and I was there with Josh in, in – in 2007, and King Griffey Jr. was on that team, Jeff Conan, but I was in the first half meeting. Jerry went around the table, gave everybody their responsibilities, when it came to me. He said, Johnny, when you've got as many days in the big leagues as I've got years, you'll be allowed to speak to me. Until then, you just sit and listen. <laughs> so everybody got a big kick out of that. But, um, you know, spending that time with Jerry in Milwaukee, we, we had some talent on that team, but we weren't, you know, we weren't really considered contenders. We did a great job in the beginning of 14, fell out of the race, fell out of first place. But just, you know, I gave him his space away from the ballpark. I had to spend time, you know, with Josh and, 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 and as far as speaking with Josh occasionally and, and I had other responsibilities, my wife and I, we had had our home to consider. But we spent a lot of time every day at the ballpark. But, you know, I, I tell you, people say, you know, who who is a mentor, who who you learn the most from in baseball. And I say, Jerry, and I say, oh, that's brother. We understand. You're going to say your brother. I'm telling you, Jerry knows things about the game. He sees things in the game that a lot of people don't see. And he said one thing to me. He said, Johnny, whenever the baseballs hit, I never watch the baseball. I always watch the base runners. I always watch the defense. I watch the other dugout. I watch what's going on other than just following the ball with my eyes. I mean, a lot of people don't think about that. But, but Jerry is, is the most knowledgeable baseball person I've ever been around. So um, after that 2014 season, I know you had the opportunity to also work with the um – the Angels organization, and then and now, um, if I'm not mistaken, I, did you spend last season with the Indians organization as the hitting coach for the Lynchburg Hillcats, a high A ball affiliate of Cleveland? Yes, after I was uh, fired from my job in Milwaukee, we didn't make the playoffs. Um, I was fortunate enough to, um, to get signed by the Angels as a hitting coordinator, and uh, being over there with Mike Sosha and Dino Evil, and I had a great staff over there, another opportunity to learn. Um, Albert Pujols, uh, incidentally, was was very helpful with me because I was working with the player development, and I asked him about speaking to the player development. He said, I'll do a video for you. So I had a great experience with the Angels, and then I went over to Cleveland, and I have worked in Cleveland AA and the tr Cleveland AAA in the past year the uh, A-Ball Club in Lynchburg and uh, have, have had a great experience with the Cleveland Indians. You, know, you mentioned Albert Pujols. Um, what about Mike Trout? Did you have much um, contact with, with uh, Mike? Mike Trout and I probably brushed shoulders in the batting cage. Mike, obviously, the, the, the talent that he is, the personality that's personified by his being the face of the Angels, he's very busy. And even though Albert was the same level player, uh, Mike, he was just so busy all the time in spring training. And most of the time I spent with the club was in spring training. But both of them, very hard workers, very professional, very locked into their routine when it came time to work. And there was no nonsense and, and made sure they got their work in. So uh, in the upcoming season, um, and forgive me if you, you may have just addressed this, but um, do you plan on, will you be back with Lynchburg in 2020? There's no specific role or no specific um responsibility I'll have. I am with the Indians currently, and that, my contract actually goes through the year 2020. 
Um, I will do whatever they want me to do. I'll be there for them to support them and help them any way I can, whether it be advising or taking an active role in a particular affiliate. That's great. I had a question for you um, there, Johnny, about the, as far as the game itself of baseball. Uh, I know there's the commissioner talked about expansion. Uh, one of the areas was uh, certainly Montreal and Charlotte and even Mexico City a, a couple of years ago. I mentioned that the All-Star game. Uh, you see that I know that he talked about the ballparks and in, in Oakland and Tampa Bay. They've got to address getting new ballparks for those two cities, and also uh, they take care of that first before it. Maybe eight more years before we could even talk about expansion. But I just want to get your thoughts on uh, first of all with that with expansion of uh, Major League Baseball. Well, you know, there's 30 teams now, and and we have to consider, one needs to consider the talent level and how it will be affected by expanding. And I'm sure that's being looked at and considered. Um, When you talk about those three cities, the one in Canada and in Mexico, and then obviously here in North Carolina, I would be, you know, I would be a little bit more heart-strung to say I'd like to love to see one in Charlotte. they got a beautiful ballpark, and and the way it's situated downtown, they got a great situation. But I think the thing that we need to make sure of is that we continue to to put the product out there on the field that's that's you know worthy of the fans spending their money, coming and supporting, and 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 being interested in. So I think that would definitely be a consideration for Major League Baseball, and I'm sure they're they're delving into it and making sure they'll make the right decision. Johnny, I heard you say earlier you you grew up in Goldsboro. Do you do you, do you, do you have, still have a home in Goldsboro? Do you make it back to Wayne County much? I'm in Lagrange. Jerry lives in Goldsboro, and and I do uh, I do a, a lot of personal instruction and consultation during the off season with Naren Pro Hitting, and I do uh, Naren Pro Hitting at the launching pad there in Goldsboro, and I also do some Naren Pro Hitting instruction over at Monster Cages in Clayton. So I am over. I probably I'm in Goldsboro three or four days a week during the off season. All right, yes, sir. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, they, um, that very thing, it's always, there's no such thing as an off-season, right, Johnny? <laughs> no, no. And, you know, we're we're always learning and, and looking around the Internet and listening to who's doing what and trying to keep up with the competition, and both in a, in a, in a skill set about hitting and, and that also the, the opposing teams will be facing. Yeah, Johnny, uh, that's why I know earlier in the interview we referenced um, Sam there, and uh, so – Obviously, he pitched for the Pirates in the late 90s and early 2000s. And um, in addition to Sam, you also had Richard, uh, better known as Rooster and Aaron. But mm-hmm. both, both both of those guys are in the in the East Carolina Athletics Hall of Fame. And uh, like Dave mentioned, uh, the season's just around the corner. Hard to believe, but we're only like a month and a half from that opening series against William and Mary. Uh, so talk a little bit about uh, how you follow the East Carolina program because I know you do and. What a tremendous job Cliff Godwin has done. Um, took the Pirates to their fifth Super Regional and uh, hosted regional at Clark Clare Stadium for uh, back-to-back seasons, um, which is the first time that had been done in school history. Well, Cliff Godwin is a great representative of East Carolina. He's a great representative of the, the, the tradition and the storied baseball program that has been a good baseball program, a great baseball program for a long time. He played there. Um, my son played briefly on the team with Sam and him, and, and he's the kind of guy that I would want my son to play for. He's not only building competitive baseball players, but he's building he's building men, and and, and he's he does a great job. And I have uh, some of my players that I have worked with in the off season as amateurs, Bryson World. Thanks so much, Johnny. We appreciate your time. I really enjoyed catching up here. And- 
um, your thoughts on Cliff Godwin's program, but also about your time uh, both playing and coaching in professional baseball, uh, spending those three years um, as a hitting coach with the Milwaukee Brewers, and also five years uh, spent uh, working closely with Josh Hamilton and uh, uh, making sure he stayed on the right path as he returned to professional baseball. Uh, so we definitely appreciate you and uh, look forward to having you back on down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, in the issue of full transparency, we lost a little part of that interview, unfortunately. But nonetheless, still a solid interview. We got most of it. Uh, so bye-bye as we, uh, as we change the years one more time. And did you have a good Christmas uh, as we – Start to wrap this thing up. Did you, did you have a good Christmas? Did you, did you get everything you wanted? Yeah, we did. Um, definitely can't complain. Main thing is my my kids had an excellent Christmas, and uh, when you become a when you become a parent, and that's the main thing you're you're worried about. It's funny how how um, those roles change, but um, it's one of those things. Like this year, Stacy and I. I mean, she got a little something, and she got me. Uh, yeah, she uh, did. A, a nice roll, uh, rolling suitcase, uh, traveling, and to, traveling to pirate games and stuff. Yeah, she's tra- and she's definitely sending me a message to get the heck out. But uh, but um, you know, when I'm thinking the combination of what she got and then what you got, I don't yeah. like your chances, Bubba. I don't like your yeah. chances. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't send a chance. That's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, what what about you? How did uh? How did you and Jessica do? Uh, uh, well, Santa Claus good to you? Yeah, Santa Claus good to us, uh, as always. Uh, unfortunately, we have not been blessed with children. Um, uh, that's another stop for another time. So, uh, we'll, uh, we always kind of pull each other at Christmas. So, uh, got a lot of nice pirate, uh, pirate gear and, uh, paraphernalia. And, Swag. Uh, Swag, if you will, yes, and a few other things that she was happy with everything I gave her. So, uh, yeah, we had a good Christmas, lots of times with family. Um, you know, uh, the the whole family came over here yesterday on my my dad and my sister, and we did Christmas Eve with my mom. So, a lot of time with family, and uh, it was a good time, man. Um, you know, it's always good to do that once a year, and then it's also always nice when it's over too. Yeah, that's what. Um... Like you said, so much effort and preparation goes into it. Um, you want to enjoy it, but then at the same time, like you said, you're so worn out. But, yeah, um, we, we talked about that at nauseum, uh, my sister and, and, and us. And, you know, she suggests next year that we uh, all get together either the Saturday before or the Saturday after Christmas and just do Christmas Eve, Christmas Day with our own little, you know, families and then do maybe, you know, being Christmas families on a Friday next year, Saturday after, have everybody get together and, Either, you know, cook a pig or, you know, get some barbecue and chicken from somewhere and call it a day versus all the trouble we go through. Because we do go through a lot of trouble. Yeah, like you said, a lot, a lot of the fatigue um, comes comes in uh, with the food prep and then also uh, wrap, wrapping up presents and stuff. So uh, it de- definitely pays to uh, not procrastinate and um, obviously, the food prep you you can only do but so much ahead of time. But um, don't procrastinate when it comes to uh, you know we the, the, the other things. We were very organized with the food preparation. Um, the biggest thing I think uh, I, I think my wife would say is the cleanup afterwards. Man, the you know she's in the kitchen cleaning up for hours, and uh, then all the all the damn trash you got to throw away. You have a crowd over, unwrapping presents and all that. 
you know, we took off uh, 12 bags of trash yesterday to the dumpster. So we don't even have kids. So I can't imagine how your trash is looking. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's what my my trash can um, certainly uh, full. And I was like, so well, I said, what am I going to do with this trash for, for the these next, next, next four or five days? <laughs> you know, burn pile. But uh, we, we, we went to the dumpster, took our trash off, and uh, wrap it up with a little adventure story. My sister evidently doesn't know how to try trash bags well. She was helping us clean up the other day, and uh, uh, the two trash bags that I'm assuming she tied, because this has never happened with any of the trash me and my wife take off, uh, two trash bags came open in the back of my truck, and uh, so we had to clean up trash at the back of the truck at the dumpster. That was nice, with no gloves and no uh, soap and water. They're <laughs> picking up trash. Well, at least it was our trash. Yeah, fine. Um you mentioned pirate swag. I got some pirate swag of my own. Um, well, it's a terrible segue to go from trash to pirate swag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great segue. Um, very natural transition there. But, um, but yeah, so got some. Uh, it's, it's one of those things uh, when you're younger, your parents don't so much struggle for ideas. But then that's what my mom, um, especially since she's. Um, Spends time um, taking care of my niece and nephew uh, when when my sister's working. Um, doesn't have as much time to get out shopping as she once did. Uh, um, so she asked me for ideas, and I told her I sent her a picture of a of an East Carolina an Adidas jacket that I found on eBay, and it's a terrific year end deal um, with the new styles coming in, and a jacket that was normally a hundred dollars. Um, got it for. Uh, I think it was forty four ninety nine. So uh very very nice jacket and I'm looking forward to uh to adding that to my pirate collection. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the pirate swag. I, I I'm sitting here uh with my beautiful new black uh with the skull and crossbone logo trimmed in purple. Uh Bubba, I know how you, you know how I feel about Zephyr hats and uh so uh brand new Zephyr East Carolina hat. Order straight from the Zephyr company. Mind you, it was in a Zephyr box. So I got a new Zephyr East Carolina hat. They make the best hats. Don't let the new era and Adidas and all that crap fool you. Zephyr makes the best hats, particularly if you got a big hog and like me and Bubba. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, then I got, uh, I got the, a little tiny mini helmet. You actually sent me a link to that, uh, we did not realize was as little as it was when my wife uh, placed the bet on it on eBay. Uh, but she won it for eighteen dollars. It was a two-inch tall, hand-painted. <laughs> but it does look to be hand-painted um, helmet, so it's kind of cool. But it ain't but two inches big of the the helmet for the Tulsa game. I uh, may be the only person that owns it, Bubba. Yeah, you, you have you have a very unique item there, Kyle. And uh, and I, I left it. I, I left it in the packaging it came in because I'm scared if I take it out, I'm gonna lose it. Um, <laughs> And uh, then uh, what else did I get at East Carolina related? I got new mats for my truck. Uh, I got East Carolina uh, mats for the pickup truck. Uh, and then uh, I got uh, a long sleeve East Carolina tee and a short sleeve East Carolina tee. And uh, then she had got me a, a nice, um, I can't think of the brand right now, but it's a pretty expensive quarter zip East Carolina pullover. And unfortunately, it's a little too small for me from fanatics.com. So uh, that got shipped back today. Uh, so that, that was my pirate swag. Oh, oh, and, uh, and I got a pirate nutcracker. Uh, very cool pirate nutcracker that, uh, uh, will be used in future holidays. Um, 
sticking on the topic of the pirates, um, but shifting gears a bit um, as as we start to wrap this show up. Um, on Saturday afternoon, um, this podcast will be releasing um, probably Saturday morning. Um, so later on this afternoon, um, Pirates looking to win their fourth straight on the hardwood as um, Eastern Kentucky visits Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum. Yeah, no, uh be a uh, chance to win four in a row as we take on Eastern Kentucky and get ready for conference play. And uh, Eastern Kentucky's record's not very good, but they've had a tough schedule taking on the likes of Louisville and Kentucky and Western Kentucky, so I don't let the record fool you. They, uh, they've taken on a, a daunting schedule. Uh, but, uh, Pirates should be favored in that one. I haven't checked one. And, uh, hopefully if they can get it, that'll be four in a row. And, uh, who would have thought that just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, some much needed momentum. Um, obviously the most recent of those three victories, um, was that 60 to 56 win over Charlotte on, uh, Sunday afternoon uh, that I had the opportunity to take in uh, along with Dave, and uh, and that was uh, extremely exciting because um, Charlotte certainly had our number over the years, and we lost three straight to them. Um, so to be able to play well in the second half and uh, ride ride the backs of Jaden Gardner and also uh, Tremont Robinson White, uh, it was nice to get that win over the 49ers. Uh, as far as some of our content on upcoming shows, um, as we wrap up 2019 and move into 2020, in the next few shows, um, you'll hear from the likes of Bob Ryan, um, the legendary sports writer, I think four-time National Sports Writer of the Year, uh, just a, a tremendous writer, obviously, and uh, he, he's someone who's literally seen it all. I mean, he's covered uh, 20 Final Fours, I think it is, 20 NBA Finals, uh, a ton of uh, World Series, um, Super Bowls, um, Olympics, you name it, he's seen it. Um, he was the beat writer for the Celtics in their heyday back in the 70s and early to mid-80s. So there are so many topics that we can discuss with him. I know that will be a excellent conversation. And then uh, I believe also uh, Dan Wolken, a national writer with USA Today Sports, um, we'll catch up with him. And then um, we'll also have some um, pirate guests, um, for- former players in both football and men's basketball. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, great content, as always, Bubba, on the uh, Sports Objective Podcast. You and uh, Dave do a great job of getting guests. So uh, looking forward to starting a new year. And uh, uh, any big plans for New Year's Eve uh, as we wrap this up? No, uh, so I'm sure we'll get together either with my in-laws and some of my uh, family on that side or um, either, either my parents. It's typically one or the other, so we'll get together. And uh, and I'm trying to remember, um, you, do you recall on which uh, bowl games are that evening? New Year's Eve, I'm not sure. The Liberty Bowl typically is on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, I'm yeah, not 100% sure. Yeah, um, that day you have, uh, I think it's five games, it appears, and um, you have the Belt Bowl with Virginia Tech and Kentucky, the Sun Bowl, Florida State and Arizona State, and like you said, the Liberty Bowl with Navy and K-State, and then also the Arizona Bowl and Alamo Bowl. Um, so, and, Unfortunately, and then, I have to work New Year's Eve, so I will miss a good portion of those bowls. Uh uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll catch the ones in the in the evening and uh, later afternoon as I should get off at four o'clock. So and it, 
And that Arizona Bowl matchup, that's one that's intriguing for Pirate fans because next year we, of course, make that trip down to Atlanta to take on Sean Elliott's Georgia State Ball Club. And um, that one's at 430 on New Year's Eve, and that one is uh, Wyoming against the Georgia State Panthers out in Arizona. Yeah, and that's on the CBS Sports Network if anybody's trying to find that one and can't seem to find it on ESPN. Or ESPN two. That's because it is on CBS Sports Network. Yeah, and and the nightcap is uh, number eleven Utah taking on uh, Texas. Um, Texas disappointing seven and five season, and they're looking to get a, a much needed uh, high profile win over um, the Pac twelve runner up. Yeah, what time's the Liberty Bowl? Uh, I'll just set a curiosity. Uh, the, the the Liberty Bowl uh, that is. 345, I believe it, believe it is. All right, so I'll be able to catch most of these games, at least parts of them, so that's good. Yeah. Um, All right, buddy. So, yeah. And so if, you don't have anything, if you don't have anything else, I don't have anything else. Um, again, you can always follow us on social media, on Twitter, at TheSportsOBJ, on Instagram, at the Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our, our podcast is available pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. It's now also available on Anchor. So um, if, if you don't follow it on Anchor, uh, definitely check us out on there. Uh, download that app and uh, favorite us there. Is, is that is an excellent place to listen. Um, that, that's a place that I've started listening to some podcasts. So for Dave Richmond, Kyle from the Grange Barber, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum, and you've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.